Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. You may have heard that God is a God of second chances. When we fail, God uses it as an opportunity to teach us important lessons because it's in our failures that He really gets our attention. As we suffer defeat, God gives us do-overs so we can have victory. One of Cheryl's message titled, The Do-Over. I just want to know, how many of you blew it this week? Yes! Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. But, you know, I'm thinking, you know, how many of you had a conversation that you thought, this, I've got the words of life, this conversation is going to go so good, and it went south. Those of you with teenagers, raise your hand immediately, right? You know, you think, oh, man, when they hear this word that I say to them, they're going to go, yes, mother, you have the words of life. And instead they go, how dare you say that to me? And you're like, wait, that in my, when I played it out in my mind, this is not how this went. Maybe some of you, you got on the road and you cut somebody off. Or maybe you were the person in front of me that ran that red light. And if I had gone when it turned green, I'd be dead because of you. You know, maybe in some way, you know, I, I, I don't know the way. Maybe you made a recipe you've made a hundred times before. And it was awful this week. Just terrible. And you're like, wait, I've done this before. I thought I had this one down. And it turned out bad. Maybe you said, I'm going to be so nice to my husband. I'm not going to say one mean thing to him, but he's really getting on your nerves. We've all got these areas. And let me just say, just across the board, you're not perfect. Live with it. I'm not perfect either. But this is why we have a God of all grace who allows do-overs. You know, he takes us right back to the same spot and says, I know that you had defeat here, but we're going to go back to this very spot and I'm going to lead you in victory. We have a God that does do-overs. Hallelujah. Now, I know you. We hate to get it wrong. I mean, is there anyone who's like, oh, I can't wait to make a mistake. I love it when I fail. No. But we sometimes do not realize, in fact, most of the time we don't realize, that God uses our failure. Because, in fact, I was going to quote all this, but I don't have time. All these famous businessmen and actors who talk about failure being the greatest teaching agent they ever had in their life. One of my favorites is Heinz who is behind Heinz ketchup and Heinz 57 sauce. I already told you the story of the 57 sauce. But just how he got it wrong, his first business ventures failed. And he went in great debt. He had to declare bankruptcy. But it was through his failure 
he went back and he saw the places where he failed and he determined not to fail in those places again. And he paid back all his benefactors who he had borrowed money from so that when he started his business again, everyone was willing to invest again. And that is why we have Heinz ketchup, which really is the best tasting ketchup if we're going to be honest. But God uses our failures to teach us some of the deepest, greatest lessons because it's when we fail that he really gets our attention. Isn't that true? It's when we suffer loss that you're like, you got my full attention now. You know, I overspent. I, I did this. You've got my attention. The Corinthians were perfectionists. They held the apostles and teachers to the highest standards of elocution. In fact, instead of hearing the message or getting the gist of the message, they were more interested in how the apostles said it than what they said. And so they critiqued and they had unrealistic standards of perfection. They hated getting things wrong. But Paul the apostle sent them a letter of correction because of their pride, because of their perfectionism. And through their perfectionism, they had gotten it wrong. And they were so upset when they got this letter of correction from Paul that Paul had to send Titus to them with another letter. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, like 7-11, Paul talks about how failure and repentance works in us something greater. For godly sorrow... Godly sorrow produces repentance to salvation. It causes a change in us, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world, it produces death. It's over, it's bitter, they're angry, they're stopped, they're paralyzed. But Paul says, for observe this very thing, that when you sorrow in a godly manner, what diligence it produces in us. This diligence, we're going to get it right. What clearing of yourselves, we're going to get rid of the wrong. What indignation, I don't want to sin again. What fear, Lord, you're greater and bigger than I realized. What vehement desire, Lord, I want to stay close to you. What zeal, what vindication in all things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. Paul is saying, do you see what your failure did? Do you see what that repentance in a godly manner? You see as believers, even in Proverbs, it says that the godly man will stumble seven times, but every time he will get up, he will get up. Getting it wrong can actually be beneficial to us. We serve a God who does not expect perfection from us. He is, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5.10, he is the God of all grace. All grace. And in this grace, he forgives us. In this grace, he is patient with our imperfections. In this grace, he allows us to repent, to say, I'm wrong, and he still loves us. Sometimes we have this this idea that if we say, I'm wrong, God's going to go, okay, get out of here. 
go away. Yeah, I even thought that with my husband. You know, the minute I say I'm wrong, Brian's going to go, okay, new wife. <laughs> but you know, he doesn't. He's like, I knew it. I've just been waiting for this. Isn't it great? Doesn't it feel good? You're like, no, stop that. <laughs> but you know, God's not waiting to choose another people. He's not waiting to choose another person. When we say we're wrong, God says, great, now we can go forward. Now we can do this right. Now we can go back to that place of defeat and we can have a victory. He allows us do-overs. We got it wrong when we did it on our own. We got it wrong when we were presumptuous. We got it wrong when we forgot to seek the counsel of the Lord. We got it wrong when we took of the accursed thing. We got it wrong and we failed and we suffered defeat. But God gives us another opportunity for victory. There are many do-overers in the Bible and do-overs. Many of our favorite Bible characters required do-overs. I want you to think of Abraham. When Abraham tried to fulfill the promises of God for himself, he ended up with Ishmael. Did God say, well, you got Ishmael. I had another, I was going to name him laughter for you, but you know what? You got Ishmael, live with it. God says, no, Abraham, let's go back to the promise again. The promise is through Sarah. We're going to do a do-over. You're going to have the right one, Isaac, laughter. Moses got a do-over. He knew he was supposed to be a leader of the people of Israel. And he went out at 40 years old in the prime of his life to take the leadership of Israel and to show the nation of Israel that he was for them. And he ended up killing, murdering an Egyptian and trying to hide it and getting caught. And then 40 years old, when he's 80, the Lord speaks to him and says, Moses, now's the time for you to lead the people. We're going to do a do-over at 80. Would you say like 80? Couldn't you have gotten me at 79? But 80, we're going to do it over Moses. And this time, I've got specific instructions on how we're going to do this do-over. David, when he became the king of Israel, he wanted to move the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. And the first time in 2 Samuel 6, he did it wrong. He tried to transport the Ark of the Covenant the same way that the Philistines had been doing it. And there was a young man, totally innocent. His name was Uzzah. He was sitting on the cart. The wheel, one of the wheels on the cart hit a bump and it threatened to spill the ark onto the ground. So Uzzah reached out his hand to stabilize the ark and immediately touching the righteous ark of the covenant, he died. The anger of the Lord came against him. He died. And we're told that David was disillusioned. He was actually angry with the Lord. Why did Uzzah die? And he just stopped and he put the ark in the house of Obed-Edom and says, I'm not touching them. That was a place of defeat. I don't want to even get close to the ark of the covenant. If people die, innocent people die, I'm not doing this again. 
But then we see later in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see that David does it again. But this time he does it the specified way of the word. He sends the priest to bear the ark up by the poles and to walk it back to Jerusalem. And this time there is great celebration. There's joy. David is dancing before the ark of the Lord and so excited to bring the ark of God to its rightful place to Jerusalem. You see, it's a do-over. And the first, the first one resulted in defeat, failure, and death. But the second one in life and celebration and bringing God's covenant right to the heart of Israel. Jonah, Jonah, talk about somebody who needed a do-over. This guy hears the word of the Lord and he reacts by trying to run away. He goes in the opposite direction that God's calling him to. God is calling him to a trip over land. And what does Jonah do? He goes the opposite way over sea. He tries to run. He tries to hide. He hides in the bottom of a boat. A huge storm comes. The sailors wake up Jonah and said, you know, look, call to your God. We're about to go down. We've never seen anything like this. This is the worst storm. We're sure we're going to die. And Jonah says, no, you're not going to die. It's my fault. I'm not listening to my God. And they're like, your God, who's your God? And and Jonah has to make this full confession. Um, I'm actually a prophet (laughs) who's walking in disobedience to my God. And and that's why you're going through what you're going through. You know, sorry. (laughs) And they're like, why would you do that to us? Why would you as a prophet who hears the word do this? So you know the story. They throw Jonah overboard. He's swallowed by a great fish. He's in the fish's belly for three days and three nights. The fish vomits him up into the land. And then chapter three, verse one of Jonah, it says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Oh my goodness, that's grace. A second time. Now see, if I was God, I would be like, is there another prophet? That one's sleeping in a boat. He really doesn't want to do this. I'm going to find another one. But no. Don't you love the fact that God's like, no, I'm sticking with Jonah. I called this man. I'm going to do it. Doesn't that give you so much hope? That when you blow it, God doesn't go around looking for another woman. Well, I have these promises for you, but if you don't want them, I'm going to give them to somebody else. God is committed to getting you into the promises he has for you. So he allows these do-overs. I think of Peter. Peter was given more than one do-over, wasn't he? Those of you who know the life of Peter the apostle know that he was constantly given do-overs. In Luke chapter 5, we read that Peter was fishing all night and he caught nothing. He comes in, he's mending his nets and cleaning them as he listens to a sermon by Jesus. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, I want you to lunch out into the deep, let down your nets for do-over. And Peter says, you know, Jesus, we fished all night. We caught nothing. The sea is empty or the fish just aren't biting. They're not coming into the nets today. And he says, but nevertheless, at your word, I'll go out. And he does. And the net was so full of fish that it was threatening to sink the boat. In John chapter 21, Peter is again fishing all night with the other disciples. And again, 
they catch nothing. And a voice calls from shore, children, do you have any food? And they have to call back, nothing across. You know what that sounds like when you're calling across an empty lake? It's like this, nothing, 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 nothing. It's just echoing, you failed. It's empty, 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 empty. And then the voice calls back, cast your net on the other side. It's a do-over. And when they cast their net on the other side, the net was filled with fish. Filled with fish. It's a do-over. Perhaps you need a do-over in your life. God is the God of all grace who gives us a second, a third, fourth opportunity, and so on to get it right. And he teaches us from our mistakes. He realigns us with his word and he leads us into victory. The very place where we had defeat, he turns to a place of victory and renews his promises to us. Sometimes when we get it wrong, we wrongly conclude this is the end. God is finished with me. And I don't have any hope for the promises of God. They're over for me. Other people can claim those promises, but I've lost my opportunity. Absolutely not. Nothing could be further from the truth. We learn that God is a God of all grace. This is the lesson of Joshua 8. Having four children, I had my eldest daughter, and I expected absolute perfection from her. I was way too hard on my oldest daughter, way too hard. I worried about her. Our nickname for her was Time Bomb. And the reason was is because she was absolutely beautiful. She still is. She, she's just so beautiful. And she had, at 12, a figure that rivaled Dolly Parton after the plastic surgery. Not my daughter, Dolly. <laughs> and she was so strong-willed. You know, she was a formidable force to be reckoned with. And so Brian and I nicknamed her the Time Bomb. And I remember when she was um, 17 years old, she moved. We were living in England. She moved over here to go to Bible college. She audited her classes. And at 18, she made the decision not to walk with the Lord. It was her decision, her choice. And I remember talking to her about it. She says, Mom, I just love the world. I love everything about the world. I love their television programs. I love their styles. I just love the world. You know, she said, nothing personal. I'm like, nothing personal. I raised you to love Jesus. I told you all those Bible stories. And I remember just being like so brokenhearted. And praying and praying for her and falling on my knees and just saying, Lord, I lost her. I did a really bad job with this one. You gave me this precious child and I blew it. I, I blew it. And you know, looking back, I remember this one night I couldn't go to sleep because I thought of everything I did wrong as a mother. You ever have nights like that? I thought of every mean word I said, every stupid thing I did, every stupid rule I made. I, I couldn't sleep all night. I was on the side of my bed just repenting and repenting and repenting. And I asked God for a do-over. 
I remember being with a, a group of women and we were all praying for our prodigals. And all I could do is say, oh God, if you let me have this daughter again, if I could wake up like it was a dream, like it was a wonderful life and now I know what I should do and what I should appreciate. If you'll just let me do a do-over. And this is what I prayed. Lord, I want to wash her hair again. I want to bathe her again. I want to brush her hair. I want to tell her stories. I want to dress her again. I want to do over. She had, I know this is going to sound really bad. She had an appendectomy. And I had to fly out and spend the night in the hospital room. And she caught peritonitis. And I had to wash her hair. I didn't have to. I got to wash her hair. I got to brush her hair. I got to bathe her. She couldn't bathe herself. I had to bathe her. I was like so excited. And she kept apologizing. Like, mom, I'm so sorry about this. I'm so sorry about this. I'm like, no, I prayed for this. She looked at me like, are you crazy? Are you absolutely insane? I'm like, no, I prayed for all of this. I just wanted a second chance to be your mommy and to tell you how beautiful you are and how much I love you. She said, Mom, tell me some stories. I told her Bible stories all over again. I just got to, you know, for like a week. I remember Brian calling and saying, I'm coming. I'm like, no, don't come. Don't fly over for you. This is my time. It's going so well. I just want this. I prayed for this. What have you prayed about lately? Huh? It's my time. He's like, no, I want to see my baby girl. I want to apologize to I'm like, no, she's only accepting women's apologies right now. He's like, let me talk to her. And I'm like, no, you don't need to talk to her. I can talk to her. He's like, Cheryl, I can't believe you're doing this. I'm like, Brian, I'm living the prayer. Anyway, he did come. He did. And he came over. We left for England. And two weeks later, she came back to Jesus with everything in her. And she is, you know, she's walking with Jesus. She's been walking with Jesus. She made sure all of her siblings walked with Jesus. I mean, I tell you, she is a force to be reckoned with. She's awesome. And she has walked with Jesus now. It's, it's been over um, 20 years of walking with Jesus. I mean, it's just amazing what God has done in her life. He allowed me a do-over. I want you to realize he's a God who gives us do-overs. The places where we feel we've blown it, he gives us do-overs. Joshua got it wrong the first time he attacked Ai. Have you ever realized that this book is a book about a lot of imperfect people and one perfect savior of all grace? Joshua got it wrong. He didn't seek the Lord. He listened to the advice of the spies. He sent only 3,000 men to Ai. Under his leadership, Israel was defeated. Under his leadership, 36 lives were lost. Under his leadership, the men of Israel fled. Under his leadership, Israel was humiliated before their enemies. Under his leadership, he didn't know that one of his men had taken of the accursed thing. He didn't realize, even as the leader, that they were under a curse rather than a blessing. He had missed it. 
and there could be no victory until the sin was uncovered. Joshua made three grave mistakes that cost him the victory. He had not sought the Lord. He had acted presumptuously on his own understanding. He had underestimated the enemy and overestimated his own strength. It's over. No, it's not over. It's not over. First Peter says that God is the God of all grace. We need to remember that. We serve a God of grace that also extends mercy and does not expect perfection from us. In His grace, He forgives us and is patient with our weaknesses. In His grace, He allows us to repent to say, I'm wrong. Even in our shortcomings, He loves us and doesn't disqualify us. His grace allows us to go forward when we can get real with Him. And as we do, He will take the place of defeat and give us victory. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at how God uses our failures as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.